Mark 6, verse 30. Let me preface this by saying this is a passage that many of you have read and studied. And so we're praying for fresh ears and fresh eyes today. As we look at this passage, um, there's a lot to this. So let's, uh, let's read Mark 6.30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before him and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away and they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat but he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, So we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks of hundreds and in fifties, and when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed it, broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, set before them, to set before them, and the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. Let's pray. Father in heaven, perhaps today in this room, there are somebody or somebodies that have come with a need. Truth be told, everybody in here has come with a need, whether we recognize it and realize it or not. Sometimes that need isn't what we think it is, because if we realize that need is anything other than a who, then our focus is often in the wrong area. So may our focus go to you in every way. Bless our study and bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. As a parent or teacher, or student, the learning process, there are various ways that we like to emphasize the points that we think are important. One of those ways, well, if you've been in school, uh, perhaps you've seen the good old yellow highlighter. All right, sometimes when the book is that good, it's like most of the book has yellow highlights in it. Now, if you are extra, extra attentive to the to want to designate your points, what you would use is uh, a slew of highlighters. You've got your blue highlighter, you've got your pink highlighter, you've got your green highlighter, you've got your yellow highlighter, and this is in this color, and this is in this color, and this is in this color, if you're me. You just highlight it with a pencil, or you just underline it, or double underline it, or put an exclamation mark by it, all right? Or you circle it, or something like that. We have different ways of emphasizing things that we think are important, and perhaps the most effective way for somebody to emphasize something is to put it in all caps. How many of you have ever gotten a text in all caps and you felt somebody was yelling at you? 
All right, that's one way we like to emphasize our point. Like if a parent texts their kids, get home, all caps, then you don't need to respond back. Here's what you need to do. You need to get home. All right? The most important way that we emphasize points in teaching is through repetition. And repetition, really important, because repetition, here's what it does. It improves speed, it improves competence, confidence, muscle memory, strengthens connections in the brain whenever we repeat something. So there's a benefit in repeating something, and we see this in God's Word. Now, in God's Word, we can kind of get a clue as to what God thinks is important by the way that He breaks His Word apart, by the way that He divides His Word. Because if you consider this, look at Genesis. There's three chapters that talk about creation. Only three. But chapters... 12 through 25 talk about one man's story, and that's Abraham. And so there's more time focused on Abraham than there is on all of creation. That's pretty interesting to me when I, when I think about it. But then there's also the story of a man named Joseph. That takes place over 14 chapters from 37 to 50. And so the Bible obviously places emphasis on these things, also when a story is repeated. Now, the story of Jesus is told in not one book, not two books, not three books, but four books. They're called the Gospels, the Good News, according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, according to John. And these Gospels, they tell us about the birth and the life and the ministry and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And so if the Gospels emphasize something multiple times, then maybe as the church we need to go like this and we need to kind of lift our ears up and say, well, why did God put one story, one miracle recorded in every book? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They all contain the miracle that we're going to take a look at today. And it's the feeding of the multitudes. Actually, Mark has several renderings, one of the feeding of the 5,000, one of the feeding of the 4,000, and the other Gospels, they also cover the feeding of the multitudes. Why is this book so important? Why is this story so important? Here's why. We are in a day and age, and feel free to disagree, where we're becoming increasingly dependent upon our own wisdom upon our own resources, upon our own technology, upon our own ingenuity, upon our own creativity, upon our own experience, fill in the blank. We're increasingly dependent on us. And yet, so there are situations that are orchestrated in the Bible where we're put in a situation that seems impossible so that we can learn something about Him. How many of you have been in an impossible situation? How many of you seem like right now you're in an impossible situation? And you came to this place, well, let me tell you, you've come to the right place today. Because if you've ever been in that impossible situation, today we're going to take a look. The disciples were put in an impossible situation when we look at the feeding of the multitudes. So let's start at Mark 6, verse 30. Now, please keep in mind what we have studied previous to this well, we talked about for a couple of weeks the beheading of John the Baptist. A devastating moment for the Christians that are walking with Jesus. To the followers of Jesus, this is devastating news. It's Jesus' cousin. This is a great man of God. He's done great things for the kingdom, and yet unceremoniously beheaded by Herod at the whim of Herodias. And so they're kind of recovered from that, but on the other hand, they're also, the disciples had been sent out, all 12 of them, to do miracles and cast out demons and to teach. And so here we see something very important. We see that in life, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to celebrate. So there's this moment for the disciples where they're like, we're so excited about what God did when we were away. He cast out demons, he was doing this, he was doing that. And you can see the excitement in the heart of the disciples. Yet at the same time, they're mourning the death of John the Baptist. And this is life. Because there's always something to mourn and there's always something to celebrate. Let me correct that. If we have Jesus, there's always Man. something to celebrate. In life, times for mourning, times for celebration, but life is just a picture of what happens to us in ministry. Because you see what happens here, right? There's a time for mourning, oh, it's John the Baptist, but we just got done and we saw so many great things. It was in 2016. 
when I was um, called to leave hospice and I was going to start working at a treatment center. And to me, this was victory. I had been wanting to do something that was full-time in ministry, and I got this job, and it was my last day in hospice, and I will never forget this. It was celebration. It was victory. And I was walking around so proud on my last day of work, you know, and I had my scrubs on, and I was ready to burn them. Uh, I was ready. I was just ready to move on from where I was at. And we got a call. And uh, one of the ladies that we've ministered to at one of the local treatment centers, she was probably in her mid to late 50s, and uh, she was just getting ready to go home and go to New Jersey to be with her family. And, uh, and she was really putting her life back together. And we got the call that she had been killed in a moped accident the, when, the Wednesday night on the way home from church. And I'm sitting here, and it's like there's that part of me saying, all right, Lord, I know that you're moving, but there's also this mourning that's taking place, and this is life, and this is ministry. And let me explain to you that if you're here today, and you're somebody that has received the gift of the gospel, you've asked Christ to be your Savior, then you are a minister. As we talked about in our volunteer meeting last weekend, in the ministry, here's what you're going to find. There are going to be ups, there are going to be downs, there are going to be ins, there are going to be outs, there's going to be struggle, and the struggle is real because there's a great need out there. The disciples are experiencing that, right? The disciples are certainly experiencing that because here, they're, they're just going to get away. It says here that Jesus said, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. All right, let's have a little time to process this. John was just killed. I, I want to hear everything that you've gone through. And here's this moment. Let's come by yourselves and let's rest. But listen, it says there are many coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. That's ministry too. There's always a need. There's always a struggle. And there's such a great need out there that there might be the uh, there might be that moment where you're not really taking care of yourself and getting alone with God, and getting alone with God. That's the very thing that we need to fuel our engine. It's also helping us because the more we spend time with God, the more we know in the church well when to extend a hand, when to step back, and when to just be still. The only way that we can ever know that is by spending time with God and getting along with Him. And so He said to the disciples, come and rest a while, but the people were pressing in. They didn't even have time to eat. How many of you have been at a job where you're like, I don't even have time to have lunch? And Dad's butcher shop in Long Island, and especially during the holidays, we're eating as we're serving the customers. Very unsanitary. I got a chicken cutlet sandwich with some fresh mozzarella in this hand, and, and as we're doing this, it's like, can I cut some bologna for you? Do you like a thin slice? Do you like a thick slice? And you know this if you've ever been in a job where you just haven't even had time to eat. You're so busy. And so they went to a deserted place in the boat by themselves, but the multitudes saw them departing. And many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude. And he said to the disciples, we have to go further away from them because I really need a break right now. No. That's not what he does. It says here, And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Stop right there for a second. Jesus came because one of the reasons that he came was so that we could understand something about God. So we could understand a lot of things about God and the way that God views people and the way that God views challenges and the troubles that we go through. And something key that we see here is that Jesus looks upon the multitudes and it says that he has compassion for them. Do we? Because if we're seeing things through the eyes of Christ, do we have compassion for those that are out there that are hurting? Because the church walks a tightrope between two extremes in the year 2019. It's between completely enabling someone and being totally apathetic. 
And that's not what Jesus stretched his hands out for. Is that fair? I mean, the church, sometimes the church is looking out there, well, they made their bed, let them lie in it. They dug their hole, let them stay there. And then some are just so willing to say, well, let me help you, let me help you, let me help you, to the point where we cripple someone, and they never see their need for God. To anybody that's ever been in recovery, there is a saying that says, never deny somebody their bottom. But yet there's a moment where we take a look at the crowd and we see the compassion because we need to see things through the eyes of Christ. We need to see those struggling out there. There are real issues and real struggles out there. And the church is meant to have the eyes of Jesus. And so what Jesus reveals is that God has compassion on those that are struggling, on those that are hurting. He has, he's a compassionate God. But here's what he does. Listen, because it's important. It says that this is what he does in response to his compassion. You ready for it? It says here, interestingly enough, it doesn't say he went out there and he started healing them. It doesn't say that he started giving them money. Here's what it says. When he went there and he took compassion on them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd, so he began to teach them. Teach them many things. Here's why this is important. Because they had shepherds. They had shepherds. It's just that the shepherds were so self-serving, not centered on God. They were the religious leaders, and they had led them astray, just as we kind of see in the church today. Even recently, in the last couple of days, the abuse of nuns exposed. The abuse of nuns? Serious? Yes. The leaders today are no less irresponsible than the leaders back then. Misrepresenting God. And when you look at the character of Jesus, understand this is that he is quick to put out his hand to the prostitute and the tax collector, but when it comes to the religious leaders that were misrepresenting him, you guys are twice the sons of hell as your father. Wow. He rails against them. So what does he do? He sits down and he teaches them. And why is his teaching different? Because it's the way he's teaching them. He's teaching them with the heart of compassion. The religious leaders weren't compassionate with them. They didn't look at them with love and see the deepest true need. Listen, if you really spend your time looking at the struggles of folks out there and you do it without Jesus, let me promise you one thing. It will crush you. If you take a look and you actually put yourself in someone else's shoes out there and you try to dare do that without Jesus Christ, it will crush you. So he took compassion. And he started teaching them. Now, this is interesting because something interesting happens in John 21. And you can turn there just for a moment, if you will. We'll, be, we'll actually go there a couple times today. It says, Jesus restores Peter. Now, you remember Peter. Peter is like, oh, even if it means dying for you, I'm with you, Jesus. And when he gets questioned by a slave girl, he denies him three times that he even knows Jesus. Peter is exposed for not being the man that he thinks he is. Listen to what happens here. It's John 21, verse 15. Because this plays into our passage, because Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And it says here, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, what does he say? Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to me the third time, then the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And there's more to that, but here's the point. Peter, if you love me, feed them, teach them, and in the way that you teach them, love them. Care for my sheep, because my sheep are very important to me. You're very important to him because you're God's sheep. But here's the thing, is that if you love God, just as we're taking a look at the need in this passage, he looked at the multitudes, he took compassion on them, and he said, you know what? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to teach them. If you are somebody here and you say you love Jesus, are you feeding his sheep? 
And if you're not, understand that he makes this a priority, so why aren't we making it a priority? This is called discipleship. This is called coming alongside people to feed them and to love them. Because if I just go teaching you, again, it's been well said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Have you ever heard that? They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so Jesus tells Peter, listen, if you love me, feed them. And you're sitting here and you're saying, but pastor, you know, it's like, oh, I'm not like I'm in ministry or anything. Yes, you are. You work at Walmart, you got a ministry. Work at Chick-fil-A, you got a ministry. You're an administrator somewhere, you got a ministry. You work in construction, you have a ministry. Come alongside people. Show them the love of Jesus. Look and ask to God for every single opportunity that you can take to tell them and show them the love of God. If you love them. If you love them, you'll do it. That's not like peer pressure. Well, if you love, if you really love God, you'll do it. Alright? You know what they're not doing? You don't love God. If you really love God, this is what he says. If you love me, feed my sheep. That's what he does. But the first thing that he does is he meets the spiritual need here. Now check this out. Let's go back to our passage back in Mark. And it says that he took compassion on them and he taught them many things. Verse 35. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him. So this is a deserted place. And already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. The disciples recognize a problem. The people had been following Jesus, and now they were brought to a place that was deserted. There was no Walmart. Okay, there was no... Uh, there was no Chick-fil-A, there was no Walmart, there was no Chick-fil-A, there were no resources, there was no ATM, there was nothing around, it was late, the people were hungry, and so the disciples were like, well, this, you know, we just need to send them away. We were tired in the first place, now we're even more tired, we're exhausted, we, have, we don't have what we need, the people are hungry, let's just send them away, let them go to their own place. But Jesus, when you're a follower of Jesus, he will always put you in a situation where he'll pose you with a problem, and what you do in that moment tells the world what you believe about your God. Here it comes. He says to them, you give them something to eat. What? Jesus, there are 5,000 of them out there, and that's just the men. If you were to count the women and the children, they're probably closer to fifteen to 20,000. You're asking us to do something impossible. How, how are we going to do this? See, he's orchestrated the situation specifically for a lesson. He brings them to a place where they can't possibly rely on their own strength. The problem is, is that they might not fully recognize this yet, so Jesus asks them a question here, and he says, listen, you give them, or he tells them to do something, you give them something to eat. So often, you will get a, you'll get a command from God, you'll get uh, counsel from God that goes counter to anything that would appeal to your common sense. You're asking me to do what? And it's usually this in the Christian life. Usually, if you have to look at the situation and say, you're asking me to do what? That's usually what he wants you to do. You're asking me to feed 5,000, 15, 20,000 people out here? And they said to him, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Now stop right there for a second. This is really significant. 200 denarii, this was like what was in their little treasury box. It was about six months' wages. Does it make sense for them to completely deplete all of that to feed the people now? Now they feed the people, but they have nothing left even to feed themselves when they go about their journey. Not only that, but 200 denarii won't even touch feeding 15,000 people. Not only that, but even if they had more resources than that, where are they going to go buy the bread? You see how impossible the situation is as they're looking at it. Now let me ask you something. Take a look, take some inventories to where you're at in your life right now. What is the most impossible situation that you have? What is the thing that can only go forward if God steps into it? Do you have something like that in your life right now? Or it's like, my situation, Pastor, is impossible, and everything that I look at to try to figure out how to do this, nothing makes sense, nothing adds up. 
But he said to them, now again, Jesus already knows what he's going to do. The book of John tells us that he already knew what he was going to do. But he says, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And this part is always the kicker to me. How many loaves do you have? Okay, so you've got 200 denarii and no place to buy bread, even if you, even if you could. And they answer him and they say, when they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Now, this is the part of the passage yesterday as I was reading it that destroyed me. There was only one kid in the whole crowd of 15,000 that was smart enough to bring his lunch. One kid brings five loaves and two fish, and he's the kid that gets singled out. Mark doesn't even mention him. But the other passages do. There's one kid that brings five loaves and two fish. So Jesus, we have 200 denarii, no place to buy it. We have five loaves, two denarii. And Jesus is kind of sitting there saying, okay, are you, are you getting the point yet? Because he's not going to command you to do anything that he's not going to give you the resources to do. Please understand this. The thing, the answer to the problem is right there with them. Here's the answer that he's hoping for. Oh, Jesus, we've got 200 denarii, but who cares? Because we got you. We've got you. We've got five loaves and two fish. We've got you. We've got Jesus. If you have, if we had nothing, you are the God that created all things out of nothing. We have you. There's a pastor years ago that had a message that was titled, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The one thing that they have is the thing that they're missing, and that's the fact that they've got Jesus Christ right in front of them, and that's the test. Because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He knew what he was going to do. And so now, he says, verse 39, that he commanded them, make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. Groups on the green grass. And Mark is not the only author to point this out. It kind of seems like the information is so it's a little bit much. Why do we need to know that? He had them sit down, he fed them. Okay, you know the end of the story, you know what happens here. But it says here specifically, it says he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. Do you remember when he looked at them? He looked at them as what? As sheep without a shepherd. I want to read something to you. You might have heard it before. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There's no mistake in the author of the gospel being inspired by the Spirit to convey to the believer right now that there was a moment right here that he made them sit down in the green grass, he made them sit down by the still water, and he fed them, and he made every provision that they need, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He'll take care of every provision that we need as long as we look to him. But how does he go about doing it? After he commanded them all to sit down in the groups in the green grass, it says, so they sat down in verse 40 in ranks of hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fish. And he divided them all. So they ate and they were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. So what does Jesus do? Same thing that we need to do. He starts by using what's in front of him. 
He starts by using the provision of a young boy. Five loaves and two fish. He takes what's in front of him. The problem and the reason that we kind of get frustrated is because we're looking to use resources that we don't have. Use what's in front of you and be faithful with what's in front of you. Be faithful with the things that are in front of you. You've got a car? Use it to help someone. You've got gas in that car? You've got clothes on your back? You've got uh, a couple of bucks in your wallet? Start with what's in front of you in your impossible situation. Start with where you're at and be faithful to God where you're at with what you have in front of you. He takes what's in front of him. Now, it's given by the boy. Now, again, this God created all things out of nothing, but he involves the boy because he wants to take the little you think you have and he wants to use it to do something incredible with it. He doesn't need your voice. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your skills. He doesn't need this. He created everything out of nothing. He delights in using it because he delights in you and he delights in relationship with you. He delights in relationship with you. He delights in you. He loves you. We get a great picture of this again. Uh, we're just going to go back just for a moment over to John 21. And just for something really quick that we notice here. This is after the resurrection. In John 21. <coughs> says that the disciples... John 21, verse 3, Simon Peter said, okay, so Jesus had appeared to them, and now he kind of disappears, and now the disciples are sitting there saying, well, well, what do we do? And so Simon Peter comes with the bright idea of saying, hey, let's go fishing. Let's go back to doing what we were doing before Jesus. Don't do that. But he does it. All right, so he goes back to doing what he was doing before Jesus. Then it says, then they said to him, we are going with you also. So now he brings all the disciples. Now they're all doing what they used to be doing. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught what? Zip, zilch, nothing. They caught nothing. <laughs> Every time you see the disciples fishing in Scripture, they usually catch nothing. And yet they seem to have these flourishing businesses. So go figure. Um, verse 4. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore... Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now at this point, they've got to be desperate. They don't know that it's Jesus on the shore. So it's not like they're obeying God. They're just doing what the stranger on the shore commanded them to do. And so, yeah, okay, great idea. We, have the, like, we haven't thought of that. Let's cast it off on the other side of the boat. Because right, surely if there weren't fish on this side, well, there's got to be a ton of them on this side. And so it says that they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John, said to Peter, I only know one man that can catch fish like this. It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his clothes for he had removed them. And the other disciples said, thank God. And <laughs> Peter plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Listen, you see that? You catch that? Jesus was already on the shore. He already had fish and bread. He already had it. Bring yours too. He already had the fish and the bread. Bring some of the fish which you've just caught. Simon Peter went up, dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153, and although they were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said, come and eat breakfast. Hey guys, let's have a meal together. At this moment, they were just taking the thing that they had and they were bringing it to Jesus so that they could have a relationship with him. Any blessing that you have, anything that you've been given, take inventory of it. Because if you're sitting there and complaining about it, saying, well, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have this, I don't have that, God give me more. Why? So you can complain about more? 
He says this, five and two fish, uh, we're back in, I'm sorry, we're back in Mark chapter six. So they sat down on the grass, and when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, so he started with the thing that he was given, he started with the little boy had, um, and he looked up to heaven. This is the next thing he does. He looks up to heaven with it. Here's the thing. If you take your five loaves and you take your two fish, here's what so many people do. Well, instead of looking up to heaven with the thing that they've been given, they take their five loaves, they, two, they take a look at the two fish, and they look around to see what other people have. Oh, that person has ten loaves. I wish I had ten loaves and four fish. Huh. I wish I was them. But then they look at this person. This person has no loaves. Well, I'm not them. You see what we do? See the importance of looking up to heaven? He looks up to heaven because that's what gives you perspective with the things that you have. How many times have we lost perspective? We said, you know what? I, I, I'm not thankful the thing, for the things that I have. He looks up to heaven. And when you look up to heaven, you gain a heavenly perspective on the things that you have on earth. And you'll better know how to utilize the things that you have on earth to gain treasure in heaven. Does that make sense? So they sat down and he looked up to heaven. He blessed it and broke the loaves. And he gave them to the disciples to set before them and the two fish, and he divided them among them all. So he looks up to heaven, he's given perspective, then he blesses it. And another passage says he gives thanks for it. He gives thanks for the thing that he has. Not looking at the thing that he, the, at the thing that, that is wanted, but this is the model that he sets for us, to be thankful for what we have, to lift it up to heaven, and then here's what he does, he does something insane. He lifts it up to heaven, he blesses it, and then he breaks it. He blesses it, and then he breaks it. Let me ask you, gang, how important is brokenness in Scripture? It's pretty important, is it not? Listen, the farmer, I wrote down here, it says, he doesn't plant the crop in cement, rather in good soil, but he has to break it up before he plants it. So it's got to be broken up. And when the seed goes into the soil, what happens? Well, breaking it and it sprouts into something else. The butterfly could never flutter in spring without breaking its cocoon. The eagle could never fly without breaking out of its shell. In Luke 7, the woman could never anoint Jesus unless she broke her alabaster box. And listen, you could not have a relationship with God unless he was broken on a cross for you. And because he was broken on a cross for you, what he desires is brokenness from us to go out there because the only prerequisite to serve him in his kingdom is brokenness. That's the only prerequisite to serve God, is understanding how broken we really are. And it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. So brokenness is important, so he breaks it. And now this is where, in God's economy, the math is a little bit messed up by our standards. In order to multiply it, here's what he's going to have to do. Divide it and subtract first. He's going to have to break it, then he's going to have to give it. But this is all we have. We only have five loaves. Give it. But Lord, this doesn't make it. Give it. Watch. Watch what I do. Whatever it is that you're lacking, maybe it's provision financially, maybe it is, and, and please understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, well, listen, if you take your last $10, and if you put it in that offering tray, in about a week you're going to get a check for $100 from another ministry. No. No. What I am saying is, listen, give God your first best. Break it. Give it. Divide it. Subtract it. And watch what God does in your life. Because he promises abundant life. And the way that he fills up after we pour out is something that is different than the way that the world might expect it. But it is something you'll take a look at and you'll be like, wow, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Lord. I've got the Lord and he's giving me something that nothing on earth could replace. Because somebody might be sitting in this room today and you'd be like, I have nothing to offer, Pastor. No. That's so wrong. You got your time. You can offer that. You've got no money. You've got this. Send a word of encouragement to somebody. Send a verse of encouragement. 
If the Bible videos are something that's touching you, send them out to someone. Take whatever it is that you've been given and give it away and watch what he does with it. We get a great story like that in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. If you would just turn there with me for a moment. Second Kings 4, verse 1. It says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elijah the prophet, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? See, Elisha's saying, take inventory. What do you have in the house? He doesn't say, what are you lacking? He says, what do you have? Let's start there. And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere. From all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour into all these vessels and set aside the full ones. Now, if you're the widow, if you're the widow, you're sitting there thinking, you're saying, wow, John's microphone just fell. <laughs> if you're the widow, don't even worry about it. I don't think I need it. Um, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Cool. All right. So... There you go. <laughs> okay, we'll just go like this. I love you, man. Thank you. you. All right. I love this church. Me too. <laughs> I didn't know where I was. What were we talking about? The, the, the meds, the what? Go inside. Okay, go inside. Shut the door. Get the oil. Okay. <laughs> Shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Now, if you are the widow, you're kind of going, this is crazy. So the only thing that I have, she said, I have nothing in the house but this. I shouldn't have even said that. I should have just kept my mouth shut because now he's going to ask for it. Listen, this is ministry. This is life. God, you want me to do what? But it says in verse 5, So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. Do you see that? He said, Bring all these vessels. And when she was done, she just kept pouring and kept pouring and kept pouring. What is that for us? That's a picture of what God wants to do in His Holy Spirit in and through you, flowing out of you, flowing out of you. And so whatever it is that God has blessed you with, joy, love, peace. But pastor, I only have a little bit of joy left in my in my cupboard. I only have a little bit of joy. Give it. I've only got a, bit, a little bit of love. Pastor, I'm about... I feel like the song Air Supply is saying, I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. <laughs> no. I've just got a little bit of love left. I've got a little bit of love, Lord. Let me pour it out. Pour it out. Father, I don't have much peace. Pour it out. See, it's the thing that the Holy Spirit has given to you freely. Give it. Bring me another vessel. Let that be our attitude as Christians. Bring me another vessel, God. Give me someone else to pour into. Give me something else to pour into, God. Please. Because I'm feeling what it's like, Lord. I, you know, when Elisha came to the house, I thought I had nothing. I only had this little thing of oil, but now, guys, give me another one. Let that be our excitement about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let that be our excitement that we're saying, God, get me some, somebody else to pour into, something else to give. Whatever you've given me on this earth, let me use it to please you. At the end of the movie Schindler's List, Oscar Schindler, who was a businessman who had profited off of the war, what happened was is that he was used in a mighty way to bring workers into his factory 
And what he found was this, that as he brought the workers in, he was saving them from the concentration camp death. At the end of the movie Schindler's List, he takes a look at the list that's presented to him out of all the lives that have been preserved. And then he looks at his car, and he looks at his ring, and he looks at his pin, and if he said, if I could have just done one more, if I would have just sold my car, that would have been five people. Or if I could have just given my ring, it would have been this many people. Wow. What if we felt like that about the gospel? Let me explain to you. This church and every other church would be full. Forget about lacrosse. Forget about soccer. We wouldn't be fighting for parking spaces. They would. They would. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil has ceased. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Go back over to Mark, please. We're going to finish up. And you know what it means when the pastor says he's going to finish up? Absolutely nothing. All right? We got another good 20. No. <laughs> so, verse 41, and we'll just go back for context sake. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, gave them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fish he divided among them all, so they all ate and were filled. They started out with lack. Now they're full, but the story gets better. He says then, and they took up 12 baskets full of leftovers, fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Listen. Do you know what the number 12 stands for in God's Word? It's the number of perfect administration. That's right. It's the number of perfect administration. Because here, we're looking for health care from the government. We're looking for, um, for help for the homeless from the government. We're looking for this from the government. The church is called to help meet these needs. And there's a perfect administration coming. And that perfect administration is not going to be through any Democrat or Republican president. It is going to be through Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Because when you get to heaven, God's not going to say, could I please see your license registration and voter registration card? No. He's going to say, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? I believed he died for my sins. Come on in. But now when you get there, it's going to be like, okay, now the things that I blessed you with, once you were aware that you were given these things to further my kingdom in this world, what did you do with what you had? How did you treat your wife? How did you father your kids? How did you serve your church? How did you serve your community? How did you love with the things that God had given you? See, this is the gospel. This is it. What sticks out to me, and this is what we're going to close with, what sticks out to me in this story is this. The boy that brings his five loaves and two fish. That boy knows what he went there with. He knows what he went there with that day. And he knows what Jesus did with it. And if you're that boy walking away with your story recorded in Scripture, you're sitting there going, Wow, what just happened? And that's something that God desires from everybody in this room, that you would take the things that you have, take inventory, look at them from a heavenly perspective, bless them, break them, give them, watch them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Your word is living and it is powerful and it is sharper than a double-edged sword. It separates even as to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joint and the marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Father, may it be said of us 
today, if we came into this room not having answers in an impossible situation, I pray we've been reminded by your Holy Spirit that with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Thank you. In Jesus' name, and before we say amen, what I want to do is I want to ask you to stand. And that song that we sang in the beginning of service, God, I want to yearn for you. Have you acknowledged your need for God today? For some of you coming into this room, it might look like this. You've never acknowledged your need for God in the first place, and you've tried to do things on your own. And having done so, you've found yourself run into the ground. And if that describes you and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because you read this and said, I'm at the end of my rope, I'm at the end of, uh, of everything, and I need a provision from God. The first provision, the best provision, the most necessary provision is His Son. And if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, even if there's one person that walked into this room that did not know if they were going to go to heaven, if heaven forbid something happened today, and if that describes you, then you can come up and you can repent of your sins, ask Christ to be your Savior. And there's no shame in that because it makes you no different than any other sinner in this room that at one point said, Lord, I need you. Because here's the thing, when you realize you need him, <laughs> You realize that you need him every minute of every hour of every single day. So if you want to come up and receive Christ, if you just want to come up and pray, and uh, if you want the anointing of oil, somebody needs healing in here, I'm going to ask Anthony to come up and pray. Uh, if anybody needs some prayer, um, I'll pray with you. Anthony will pray with you. Um, come on up. If you want to pray, you need the anointing of oil, or if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, as the congregation sings, you consider coming up.